that song always reminds me of. Uh, I have a I have a seventeen year old named Nora, and when she was a kid, when she was just three or four years old, um, all my kids were born in Iowa, and um, I was the minister at a church there in Davenport, and um, one one weekend, Marta was out of town. I think she was back in D.C., and um, so I had the kids, <clears throat> and um, uh, my mom, who lived an hour away, came for a visit, and um, there was a red-winged bird, a cardinal, out in the yard that you could see from the window, and my mom was like, Nora, cardinals are my favorite bird, and she went on and told her about why the cardinal was her favorite bird. And later in the day, it was one of those days that was kind of gray and watery and wet, like the Midwest gets sometimes. We were driving along the, um, the River Drive and the Mississippi River, and it was flowing along bridge up ahead, and this double rainbow appears. And I'm like, Nora, look at that amazing double rainbow. And she says, yes, but I hope we get to see another red bird. Right? Uh, she found the holy in that common red bird. She reminded me it's not just the rare double rainbow that is sacramentalized, that is made sacred by our noticing. But um, uh, it just always reminds me of that story, that particular song. Thank you, Connie. So <clears throat> when Ariana talked about uh, ancestors this month, Ancestors is our theme. We have a theme once a month, and we try to reflect on that theme a bit. When Ariana spoke about ancestors, uh, she talked about the story in the Gospels where Jesus takes three of his disciples up to the mountain, and um, they talk together, and they pray together, and they do their rituals, and they eat together. And this story is called the Transfiguration. It's one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. And... <clears throat> What happens is, um, you know, Jesus takes them up to the mountain because in those days the mountain was sort of where you could find God. It was a thin place. And they talk, and at some point Jesus begins to glow. He turns white. And at some point Elijah and Moses appear, and Jesus and Elijah and Moses are talking together. The ancestors show up. And not just any ancestors, but like big-time ancestors. What's interesting to me about that story is the very human response by the disciples. Frozen in fear is one response, which completely understandable. If um, Carl Sandburg, the poet, and Walt Whitman, the poet, suddenly came here and appeared, we'd probably be a little freaked out, right? Another, another disciple was just going to bow down in amazement and awe and wonder. Another perfectly natural and appropriate response. Peter is so inspired by the moment that he wants to build a marker. He wants to build a holy site so that this moment could be commemorated forever and ever. Also, Completely understandable. But what does Jesus say in that moment? What does Jesus say to those disciples and all their variety of responses upon seeing the ancestors? Jesus says, come on, let's go. Get up. 
Let's go. They couldn't stay on the mountain. They had to come back to the crowds, to the children, to the poor and the vulnerable, and those that would be easy to ignore. What do they do? They leave the mountain and they build relationships with folks that are told they don't matter. They pray and they feed folks and they go about the business of their daily lives. Even in this encounter where the ancestors on that mountain appear, they go back to the work that they've been called to do in everyday life. They're living holy lives and they're learning holy things and they're doing big things together as a community. But they can't stay on the mountain. They have to go to the mundane and the everyday and find their lessons there. Now, we shouldn't be hard on those disciples. If Elijah and Moses appeared, we'd want to build a plaque at the very least. We'd probably be paralyzed by fear. We'd probably take a moment to bow. It's just interesting and fun to imagine a world where the ancestors appear like this. So today I ask the simple everyday question, who appears on your AGB? What's an AGB, you ask? Ancestor Guidance Board. All right? Who appears on your ancestor guidance board? It's your board, so any ancestor you want can appear on there. For five years at Penrose Hospital, um, I had an icon of Thomas Merton, the Catholic monk, and an icon of Dorothy Day, the founder of the Catholic Worker. Both Catholics on the more radical side of things, both in their own way reminding us that every single person without exception holds the image of the divine, is the divine walking around. And um, I say for five years I had it up because they're, they've gone missing. I don't know if somebody took them or what, but my icons of Merton and Dorothy Day are gone. Are gone. Um, it was very sad. I'm going to have to replace them. But <clears throat> Merton and Dorothy Day make my AGB, my Ancestor Guidance Board, because they remind us that Joe living down the street who is struggling with addiction or mental health or who is impulsive or who is richer or poorer than you or who is annoying or deeply angry, that Joe holds the divine image too. Dorothy Day, by just hammering the drumbeat for the end of war and the end of poverty, feeding the homeless, housing them, worshiping with them, learning from them, she makes my ancestor guidance board. When Pope Francis mentioned her in Congress as an exemplar of an American, I teared up. The older I get, she says, the older I get, the more I meet people, the more convinced that I, uh, the more convinced I am that we must only work on ourselves to grow in grace. The only thing we can do about other people is to love them. Isn't that great? Can't fix them. Can't make them what we want them to be. 
can't like love the parts that remind us of ourselves in them, the only thing we can do, the only thing we can do is work on ourselves to go in grace. And the only thing we can do about other people is to love them. And then, Thomas Merton. I fear that I mentioned Thomas Merton so much to you that you're going to like get sick of him or think I'm a secret Catholic or something. I'm not a Catholic. I um, it wouldn't be the worst thing at all. Um, I would be a very bad Catholic though. I'm not going to lie. I would be such a bad Catholic. But um, I love Thomas Merton. And the reason I love Thomas Merton is that he just reminds us that even when we think we are separate, even when we think we are alone, he reminds us that we are all interconnected. We are all engaged in this network of mutuality. In Louisville, at the corner of 4th of, uh, and Walnut, in the center of the shopping district, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all these people, that they were mine and I theirs, that we could not be alien to one another, even though we were total strangers. It was like waking from a dream of separateness, of self-isolation in a special world. He says he nearly laughed out loud on the street. He says, there's no way of telling people that they're all walking around shining like the sun. He says, it was if I suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts, the depths of their hearts where, not, where neither sin nor desire nor self-knowledge can reach the core of their reality, the person that each one is in God's eyes. If only they could all see themselves as they really are. If we could all see each other as we really are all the time, beautiful and beloved of God, there'd be no more war, there'd be no more hatred, there'd be no more cruelty, there'd be no more greed. So those two make my, my ancestor guidance board. Mary Oliver, the poet of blessed memory who maybe died six months ago or so, I love when, um, when Connie talks about um, when we're singing one of the songs, I think the three faces of prayer of God song, and she talks about one of, the, one of the faces of God can be like the intimate God that you relate to, like Jesus or Buddha. Um, and she always says nature. I think that's so profound and beautiful. Here's what Mary Oliver says about her own epiphany and why she makes my um, ancestor guidance board. She's talking about a time when she woke up and saw things as they really were. Time seemed to vanish. Urgency vanished. Any important difference between myself and all other things vanished. I knew that I belonged to the world and felt comfortably my own containment in the totality. Your blessing this morning. May you feel comfortably your own containment in the totality. I did not feel that I understood any mystery, not at all. Rather, I could be happy and blessed within the perplexity the summer morning, its gentleness, the sense of the great work being done through the grass where I stood. 
As I say, it was the most casual of moments, not mystical as it's usually meant. There was no vision or anything extraordinary at all, but only a sudden awareness of the citizenry of all things within the world. Leaves, dust, thrushes, finches, men and women, that red cardinal outside, and the double rainbow. And yet it was a moment I have never forgotten and upon which I have based many decisions in the years since. So those are some of my ancestors on my ancestor guidance board. When I think of the ancestors, I think of Jesus and Buddha sitting down and talking and they're next to a creek and they're sharing bread and they're maybe thinking about how to gain peace in a world that is both bruised and beautiful and broken and glorious all at once. That's what I think of when I think of the ancestors. They're on my board. And I don't need them. I want you to hear this. I don't need them to be supernatural. I don't need them to be superhuman. I don't need them to be Iron Man or Spider-Man or Wonder Woman. Right? I put them on the board because they are radically and fully human. And they have found something profound in everyday life. When I think of the ancestors, I think of the story I've told you a, a couple of times about when Mohammed was sleeping and the archangel came to take him to see God. And the archangel could only take Muhammad so far to see God and said, I have to, get, I have to leave now. I can go no further. So Muhammad had to go his own way to God. And God and Muhammad start talking about how often should my people pray? And at first they decide, God and Muhammad, on the number 50. And he comes back and Moses is like, there's no way. There's no way. You're not going to be able to pray 50 times a day. Go back and see God. And so Muhammad goes back and sees God. And they settle on 40. And Moses is like, forget about it. And they continue to negotiate, and finally they settle on five. And Moses is still not convinced, but Muhammad said, that's enough. We're, we're going to settle on five. But I have an imagining of that moment as being full of the ancestors. Moses and Muhammad are helping each other out. But as Muhammad is walking, I have this image of Jesus and Mary and Paul and the Buddha, and all these people cheering him on. Cheering him on. That's what I think of when I think of the ancestors. There's a Bible verse in Hebrews that says, Therefore, therefore, since we are all surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, that's the ancestors. That's it. That's the ancestors. All these clouds of witnesses are cheering us on, mentoring us, guiding us. It says, continues that Bible verse, let us throw off all that hinders us. The ancestors are reminding you that you're carrying a weight that could be placed on the ground. 
that can let go. Throw off everything that hinders you and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You have your race. You have the one that you have to walk alone. No one can walk it for you. But there's an ancestor guidance board full of people cheering you on, mentoring you, saying you've got this, you can do this. Who's on your AGB?